listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. we've been in the midst of an Advent sermon series called Wait For It. We spend a lot of our lives waiting, don't we? Sometimes life even feels like one giant existential waiting room. So in this series, we've been talking about all the good things that we as Christians wait for during this season of Advent, this season of of joyful expectation and preparation. We wait for love and joy and, and peace and hope. And we wait for God to ultimately fulfill His promises because He gives us glimpses of it here and now, right? The King has come, His kingdom has arrived, but not in all of its fullness yet. So tonight, we're continuing with this theme of wait for it. And tonight, we are waiting for a sign. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to be familiar with the Christmas story. All you have to do is watch the Peanuts Christmas special or turn on your radio anytime during the month of December or for the terrible radio stations in November when they started beforehand, right? But that's okay. You can arm wrestle me about that one afterwards. Um, The thing is that the Christmas story offers us a colorful cast of characters, and we're kind of familiar with most of them. So each year as we revisit the Christmas story, we reacquaint ourselves with all of them. It's kind of like this, this big family reunion where this motley crew sort of comes together, right? There's Mary and Joseph, the newlyweds, young and confused, like all newlyweds, and yet still with faith, making their way to Bethlehem to give birth to the Savior of the world in a feeding trough. There are the shepherds watching their flocks by night, reminding us that God chooses the most unexpected, those on the fringes to be His objects of undeserved love and mercy. There are the mysterious magi who journey from the far east to present these gifts to the Christ child because they have have seen his star and they have come to worship. There's Zechariah and Elizabeth who conceive in their old age. There's Simeon and Anna and John the Baptist and Herod and Gabriel. You've heard about most of these, right? A lot of them we've got under our, our nativity sets. But I want to introduce you to someone else. I wonder if you have heard of him. A fearful king cowering under the threat of world superpowers, terrified that God won't come through and that he and his kingdom will be annihilated by invading armies. Anyone? I didn't think so. You may not know him by name. You won't find him under the Christmas tree, and he doesn't make his way into many Christmas sermons. But he's an important part of this story. His name is Ahaz, king of Israel, and we are going to hear about him tonight. To do so, we have to press rewind about 700 years before the birth of Christ, all the way back to the Old Testament and the prophet Isaiah, which is where our reading for this evening comes from. It's just a few verses, but I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's Word. This is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me now. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen. Isaiah 7, beginning at verse 10. 
Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear me, hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. I pray that you would bless our time together. God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Because God, you are our rock, and you are our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Context is important, so we need to understand a little bit about King Ahaz's backstory. So very briefly, here's what you need to know about King Ahaz. Here's how the Bible summarizes his reign. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Not something you would want engraved on your tombstone. But that was the legacy Ahaz left behind. He did some pretty terrible things. You can, you can read about it in the book of Kings and Chronicles. And in our text today, Ahaz is in trouble. He's in big trouble. Remember, back when the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they split under the son of Solomon, right? They, they split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Well, Ahaz is the king of this southern kingdom, the, the kingdom of Judah. And he, like any political leader, he's getting pressured. Here's what's going on. A couple of neighboring kingdoms, one of which is the northern kingdom of Israel, so it used to be like this brother and sister kingdom. These were, were all together at one point. They, along with another nation, are pressuring Ahaz in the southern kingdom, Ahaz and his kingdom, to form a coalition to make war against this superpower, Assyria, right? But Ahaz, he won't agree to their plan. Assyria is this, this, this massive nation that's just been gobbling up all of these smaller nations and conquering them and making them pay tribute. So they don't want that to happen, so they decide to form this coalition. But Ahaz, he, he won't join it. And instead, he does what he thinks is a pretty strategic move, and it's pretty bold. He actually appeals to the king of Assyria to help him. Assyria, the, the very nation that they were going to fight against. So his thinking must have gone something like, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and if you can't beat him, join him. That seems to be his motto. So that's what he's leaning toward doing. And it's right in the midst of this crisis of faith that Isaiah marches in and he gives him this warning that we just heard, you just heard me read from our text today. And basically, Isaiah tells him, look, God wants to help you. So ask him for a sign, literally any sign at all. Now, this is probably strange and a little bit foreign to us because many times in Scripture when people ask God for a sign, it's because they lack faith and they get rebuked for it. But in this case, it's very different because God is actually telling Ahaz to ask for a sign. But Ahaz refuses. And at first blush, his reasoning seems to make sense. 
He says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. You, you can't do that. You're not supposed to test God, right? But God sees his heart. He, he sees that all of this pious posturing is just an excuse, a smokescreen to hide what's really going on. Ahaz trusts Assyria to save him when he should really be trusting God. In the midst of the crisis, when the pressure is on, Ahaz turns to a false god to save him. Where do you turn in the midst of crisis? You might not be sandwiched between world superpowers or invading armies, but in some way, shape, or form, everyone here, everyone here together in this room tonight feels pressured by all sorts of different things, each pulling and, and pushing us in different directions. Christmas in the Christmas season is a much more difficult time than most of us want to admit. We're all fighting battles that nobody knows about. It's kind of like this. I used to be a civil engineer before I became a pastor, and part of my job was to inspect construction sites. What we had to do is we would take the materials on the construction site and test them to make sure that they were good, to make sure that they met specifications. Now, to test concrete, what you do is you would take a, a plastic cylinder, you would fill it with concrete, you would let it dry, you would let it cure. And then you would perform what's called a compression test on this concrete. Basically, you'd take the cylinder, you would set it underneath this massive hydraulic press, and it would push, and it would push, and it would, would push down on it until that concrete cylinder broke. Now, sometimes this would happen around 3,000 PSI per square inch. Sometimes it would happen around 5,000. Sometimes it was six, seven, or 8,000 PSI, but at some point, they all cracked, right? They, they all had this breaking point. And man, if we're being honest, a lot of times, we feel like that's us, don't we? Feel like we're in the middle of that press with forces greater than we can withstand bearing down on us. Sometimes these forces come from within, our own hearts accusing and condemning us of past actions. Maybe we keep giving in to the same temptations over and over. They seem to always woo us back, no matter how many resolutions we make each new year. Other times, the pressure we feel comes from outside of ourselves, right? Maybe unrealistic expectations that have been foisted upon us, which leave us feeling like we'll never measure up. Or perhaps for you, it's just being overwhelmed by harsh realities like poverty and war and corrupt politicians because it seems we're just powerless to stop them. There's trouble in the world, and we don't have to look hard or far to see it. In these times of crisis, when we feel cross-pressured by forces too strong for us to handle, where do we turn? That's the big question. Where do we look? Do we look inside of ourselves 
to try to muster up more willpower and, and give ourselves a little pep talk to, to overcome? Do we look to earthly government, uh, a political party perhaps? We invest all of our time and, and energy in that and we look to it to rescue us? Do we head to the, the self-help section of the local bookstore? Where do we turn when we are utterly powerless to help ourselves? Or are we too scared to even admit such a thing? It's frightening to be powerless. It's scary to admit that you can't help yourself. But ironically... It's in these places of weakness that God shows himself to be strongest. Places like the manger, places like the cross, and in Ahaz's case, when you're at the mercy of invading armies. It's only drowning people who need rescue. It's only the helpless who need help. It's only the broken who need to be fixed. One of the best confessions of, of sin that I've ever heard outside of Scripture comes from Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe you've heard this phrase. It says, we admit that we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, if we were to substitute the word sin for that word alcohol, that confession could be the confession of every single human heart. We admit that we are powerless over sin, that our lives have become unmanageable. We can't manage sin. Are we brave enough to admit this, that, that we need help, that some part of our hearts or lives has become unmanageable? Ahab's his life certainly was smack in the midst of the Assyrian crisis, battered by evil forces too strong to overcome. Yet he refused to ask God for a sign. He refused to turn to the Lord for help. He placed his trust in the world's superpower instead. He trusted the wrong thing, and it eventually, as it always does, leads to our downfall. But here's the, the really fascinating thing about this story, right? Human weakness wasn't enough to stop God's strength. It never is. Here's what God says to Ahaz, to the prophet Isaiah. He says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? Despite Ahaz's failure and lack of trust, God gave a sign anyway. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to Emmanuel. That's the promised sign. And spoiler alert, if you've ever read the New Testament... Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary who came to save his people from their sins. Friends, the only one who can rescue us from our predicament is Jesus. 
By the way, do you know what the name Jesus means? It's actually a, a, a really common name, Jesus in, Greece, in Greek, but in, in Hebrew, it's a form of Joshua. We just have kind of, it's taken a few different turns as it's entered into the English language, but the word means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. That's Jesus. Yahweh saves. And on that day, 2,700 years ago, the Lord worked salvation for King Ahaz. Ahaz didn't have to wait long. The, the two smaller nations that were making war on his kingdom were defeated by the Assyrian Empire. See, God protected Ahaz and his kingdom, and it certainly wasn't because of anything particularly honorable that Ahaz did. Yet, in spite of his weakness, God still performed a miraculous rescue, delivering him from the cross pressures of world superpowers and eventually preserving a remnant out of Judah through whom the Messiah would one day come. You know, Ahaz is even mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Friends, God's favor is unearned, abundant, and it is given without regard to the qualifications of the recipient, good or bad. It's undeserved and totally dependent on God's initiative. That's why it's called grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. And here's the, the wonderful thing about all of this. God's grace is not just for King Ahaz. It's for you too. It's for anyone who believes. That's the funny thing about it. We are, we are saved by grace through faith alone, yet faith is not something we, we do or have to stir up within ourselves. It is entirely the gift of God. Faith is not something to be performed. It is something to be believed. It's a firm and unshakable trust that God is going to deliver us from, from the worst that life throws at us. And even if he doesn't, this side of heaven, he most certainly will at the resurrection. And all because of Jesus and what he did at the cross. Suffering and dying in our place because the wages of sin was death. To forgive us. And to make peace with God to all who believe. Not only was he born in a manger, but he rose from the tomb on Easter Sunday, defeating all of the forces of sin, our flesh, and the devil that constantly assail us and make war against us each and every day. I don't know what kind of pressure you're under right now. I don't know what you're going through, what kind of darkness you're up against, and I would never presume to, but I do know this. The only thing strong enough to save you from it is the love of God. 
And God's love isn't dependent on your grit or your faithfulness. It's only dependent on His good fatherly heart toward you and the shed blood of His Son. See, God is in the business of loving and forgiving weak people who fail two, three, seventy times seven again and again. The ones who say, surely not me. God could never love someone like me. But as it says in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The arm of the Lord is never too short to perform a rescue. and He wants to do that for you today. A simple cry of, Lord, help me will suffice. In just a few moments, we're going to turn down the lights and we'll light our candles here. And there's something very powerful about this, about seeing a, a, vis, a visible, tangible reminder that Jesus, that the light of the world has come. And not in a, a flashy, ostentatious way, right? We're not going to drop the disco balls here. These are candles we're, we're talking about. He's come quietly into our world to push back the darkness. And as we do that, as, as we light these candles, I, I want to encourage you to use that time to reflect on this truth and to pray because the reality is that even though we are going to extinguish our candles at the end and walk out of those doors to our families, the truth is that the light of Christ can never be extinguished because it resides in the hearts and minds of believers everywhere. The only sign we need, the only sign we've ever needed, is Jesus. The light of the world. Friends, the wait is over. A Savior is born. Christ the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.